Welcome to Community Hope Podcast. We pray that the word of Christ would dwell in you richly as you listen and that you would be encouraged in Christ. So we're continuing our series on the armor of God. And just a reminder about how this section starts before we get to the piece of armor we're going to be talking today. It starts like this, finally be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Then he goes on with the different armor, and he finally says, take up the sword of the Spirit with which, I'm sorry, which is the word of God. This is the offensive armor, the sword of the Spirit. And I started thinking about it uh, when I was backpacking last week, two weeks, recently. Um, they, they, there was a campsite, and at the campsite, there are these bins, these metal containers. And can you see what it says on the top of it? Bears. So the idea is put your food in there, because if you have the food with you, the bears could come and get the food. Now, because we never made it to any of the standard campsites, we just made our own and found some, we just had the food in our tent with us, <laughs> thinking, well, maybe the bear gets us, maybe the bear doesn't, maybe we don't see a bear, right? I mean, I, you just don't know. I, I remember one time I was on a hike and I got phone reception, and Gretchen had started uh, school, so I called her, and I told the group, I'll catch up. And I had this great conversation with Gretchen, and then I am like in the spirit, just thinking about how beautiful creation is. This, it, it's kind of evening, so it's becoming dusk, and, and it, it's just one of those times. I don't know how, many, how often you have that in nature, where you're, you're just worshiping the Lord. You're thankful, your heart is good, and then I see a bear. Now, in the east, you want the bears to run from you. You want to scare them away. If you're out west, you run from the bears, right? I mean, maybe, you know what I'm saying. They have grizzlies, we have black bears. So I was trying to scare the bear away. I'm throwing stuff at it, and it was, it was a little farther than the bathrooms are to me. I got it to move like six or eight feet, but I couldn't get it to move until maybe about where the last row is, was a cub up a tree. Yes, I know that. You don't mess with a mom and, his cub, and her cub. And I'm like, that's why mom's not moving. Now I'm really in danger, right? You're trying to get mom to leave her cub. It's not going to work. So, you know, my, so I already had bear alarm, but that alarm, my adrenaline went up fight or flight even faster, right? And I'm just kind of making noise and, you know, getting... And then, you know, I had, I had this fear, right? Every... It, it got, like, dark, and I'm hiking in the dark with the light, and every stick is a snake. You know what I'm saying? Like, you're just afraid of everything until, until a couple miles down, I found our group, and we're camping for the night. And, and I started thinking, you know, um, sometimes people use bear spray, Right? And it's, it's kind of like mace for a bear. 
and it can deter a bear. It doesn't always, but it can. And I was thinking, if you carry bear spray, do you want to have the story where you use it? Or would you rather just carry it, right? And, and you have to wonder about the sword of the Spirit. If you're drawing the sword of the Spirit, it's not probably a very good situation, right? You're in a battle. A difficult situation is occurring in your life. Uh, I, I ride bikes, and these happen to be pictures of my body um, because I've fallen numerous times. And um, I read that there are actually proper ways to fall if you're riding a bike. Look at this. Extend your leading arm towards the ground to start absorbing the impact. Bow your head. Tuck your chin to your chest while protecting your head with the other arm. I don't even know how that goes right now. As your leading arm hits the road, let your momentum roll you over the same shoulder, a bit like a lopsided forward roll. You know, if you're falling, can you... <laughs> I'm like a cat, right? Just ruin my body. And I'm thinking the only way to actually fall like this, you need to go to like bike falling school. I should start one, right? Okay, you're going to fall 117 times, so it, so it becomes like second nature, because I can't remember any of that on any of the times I've wiped out. One time I hit a tree with my head, another time railroad track. I mean, like I, I've had uh, numerous falls, and all I know is I fall and it hurts, and I lose skin, um, and have a headache, and so uh, break my helmet. Okay, and, and so I, I wondered if, if handling a bike and learning to fall isn't something that's natural, we need to be people who are comfortable with our sword, right? Like, you don't want to pull the Bible out just once in a while. Like, it should be something that, that we use regularly, Right, the, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And, and there's two psalms that are all about the word. One is Psalm 19, and one is Psalm 119. I didn't pick Psalm 119 because it has like 140 or 50-some verses, right? But the whole thing is about the word of God. When it, and, and yet Psalm 19 is, is like a mini Psalm 119. And it says, the law of the Lord is perfect. So this is describing the sword of the Spirit. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony, that's another word for the word of God, of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The command of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eye. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the dripping of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them your servant is warned, and in keeping of them there is great reward. Like This is talking about Scripture. Like The whole idea is if we're going to be people who are comfortable handling the sword of the Spirit. We have to be people who are um, about the Word of God. You know, I could talk to people sometimes, and they'll say, you know, I haven't cracked that book in years. I'm like, oh, so you come to church every week, and you don't... Yeah, you know, like there's, there's something about handling the Word of God. I mean, the Bible says that 
all Scripture is theonumatos, right? Is theo, God, pneuma, spirit, wind, breath. All Scripture is God-breathed. I don't know about you, but there are times when I am reading the Bible and like my heart may burn or my mind starts like connecting things. And, and, and not just reading, but like chewing on it, like meditating on it. Like things come up. This week I was thinking about Adam and Eve and how God says to Adam and Eve, uh, if you eat of this tree, you will die. And all of a sudden this thought comes into my head. God could have said to them, if you eat of this tree, I will die. Right? Because, because it's like, that's the truth, isn't it? You know, God, Jesus Christ became flesh, dwelt among us, and he died because of Adam and Eve's sin. If you eat, I will die. I mean, it's, it, it's like, it's beautiful. Do you have a plan to read the Bible? Like, is, if you don't have a plan, you probably aren't doing any reading, right? If you don't have maybe a devotional or some kind of reading plan, if it's like, I'll just get around to it, you, you probably aren't. You're probably not doing any reading. And let me encourage you, if you don't have a plan, get a plan. Just say, hey, I'm going to read seven verses a day or a chapter a day or like whatever it is. Commit to reading it and thinking about it. You might want to read it with a pen. I, I remember when I first started reading the Bible, I had tons of questions. Not that I still don't, but I would just put question marks in the Bible. I'd be like, yep, don't get that one. Don't get that one, you know. And, and as, I, as I, the years went on, I'm like, oh, I have a better understanding of that now, you know. Or I would highlight the stuff that speaks to me. And, and you can augment your diet of Scripture with our prayer path back there, newly updated. So um, James Sinclair uh, has done an Eagle Scout project with family and with the Boy Scout troop. And I don't know if you've seen our prayer path recently, but it hadn't been cared for very much. But now it has gravel and a new um, bridge. Totally rocks. Check it out. It's been done since, I think, this weekend. Really, I mean, like, it was kind of finished on Wednesday, but more work is done. They cleaned the creek out. They, you won't get muddy, maybe a little dusty from the gravel, but it's really wonderful. And what I love is there's signs back there and benches where you can think about the scripture that's written on the sign. And then it ends with the benediction, you know, that, that we end the service with every week. So avail yourself of it. Augment your scripture reading with our prayer path. Uh, but again, I hope that you are comfortable handling the sword. Hebrews says this, it says, the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing the division of soul and spirit, joint and marrow, discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Paul will say in Romans that the gospel exposes the motives of our heart, like our motives and thoughts will be exposed. There's something about the word of God that shows us stuff that we don't normally See, one time years ago when I was new as like a pastor guy, I went with Norm Prost to one of these things where we, it's like a Ohio vote, church voters meeting thing, you know, and, 
Um, and there's hundreds of people there, pastors, other people. I'm meeting for the first time, you know, glad handing. And um, it, it was fun. And I enjoy meeting people. And we get back to the hotel after dinner. I go to the bathroom. I look in the mirror. Sometimes, because I'm attention deficit, I'll put product in my hair, but then I'll forget to comb it. Uh-huh. It was that day. My hair was crazy. And I, I met like a ton of people for the first time. And I'm like, Norm, when I see him a little later, why didn't you tell me? He goes, thought you wanted it that way. <laughs> like, really? This is how I look any other day? You know? Yeah, and, and I didn't know what I looked like until I stood in front of the mirror. And the beauty of Scripture is that many times, you know, we're going on life and maybe we think that this little bit of grudge we're holding or bitterness or, you know, things that we're like, oh, that, you know, that, that thing that I'm doing, that's not as bad as those people. Like, you, you know what I'm saying? And all of a sudden, this word of God shows you and you're like, oh, Lord, I need to ask forgiveness of my spouse. You know, I need to change how I'm treating my children, Right? Or that human sandpaper gal at work. I need to have more grace towards her. Right, so the scripture, many times it, it shows us how our sin, really. And, it, and, and then other times you're under the pile. Uh, like you are just so hard on yourself. And all of a sudden you, you read maybe when Jesus was baptized and the voice comes from heaven and says, you know, this is my beloved son and then somehow God's voice comes through and says, you're my beloved. And it, and it doesn't just hit your head, but it gets down into your heart. And there's this peace that is greater and your heart has a little bit ability to believe it. And maybe there's myths of, of all these other voices that are saying other things about you. But for a while, you're able to hold on to, no, I am deeply loved by God. That's the power of the scripture to, to minister to us. That's the sword of the spirit. When I think of the sword of the spirit and this kind of demonic interaction, one passage that my mind goes to is where Jesus is standing before his disciples and he's telling them what's going to happen towards the end of his life. He says, Simon, Simon, another name for Peter, Behold, Satan demanded to have you, that he might sift you like wheat. And it's like the, you keep the good part and the bad part goes away. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Now, you wish the scripture would stop here, right? Because... Like when Jesus says to his disciples, go across the sea to the other side, right? They know, they should know that even if a huge storm comes up that scares the daylights out of them, Jesus said go, that it will happen. Like he said it, it will happen. And here he says what's going to happen. Then Peter says, Lord, I'm ready to go with you both to prison and to death. Jesus, of course, knows that you're going to all desert me. Says, no, I tell you, Peter, the rooster will crow this day. Uh, I'm sorry, the, until the, I'm sorry. I, I tell you, Peter, 
the rooster will not crow this day until you deny me that you know me three times. There it is. So here's Peter correcting Jesus. What do you think needs to be removed by the scalpel of the word of God from Peter's life? Some of you are like hubris. You're like, no, I never use that word, right? Yeah, Peter somehow knows better than Jesus. And what if the church had grown up with that? What if the church had grown up with, hey, you, like, like, you'll never deny him. Stand on your own two feet. We used to sing this song uh, years ago. I'm yours, Lord. Everything I am, everything I've got, everything I'm not, I'm yours, Lord. Try me now and see. See if I can be completely yours. Can I say only young Christians sing that song? <laughs> right? Old Christians go, no, no, lead me out of temptation, deliver me from evil, right? That's why you don't lay hands on young people too early because they have way too much of Peter in them. They haven't been sifted like wheat. There hasn't been this, this battle where they've come to understand themselves. You see, if your faith makes you feel better than others, I don't think God is operating on your heart. You know, if you know this passage in another one of the Gospels, Peter goes, Lord, they may deny you, but not me, right? If they all deny you, no, 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 but not me. Like somehow Peter was bootstraps Christianity. I'm better than these people. And the Lord says a spiritual battle is coming that will purify you. It made me think of that prodigal son story. You know, this, this uh, Jesus is talking about like seeking and saving the lost people. And it, he tells this story of two brothers. And one brother comes to the father and he says, Dad, I wish in a sense that you were dead because if you were dead, I'd have your inheritance. And yet the dad does the craziest thing. He's like, I'll give you your inheritance now. Now, it's less than what the older brother has, but he gives the younger brother his inheritance. And the Bible says this, this son goes off and squanders his wealth on like ravenous living. And then it says, a famine came into the land and he was, was hired on as a pig farmer. Uh, should I say a pig feeder? And he was so hungry, he wanted to eat the pig food. Can I say you have to be really hungry, right? Because pigs don't get like the delicious food. I won't even, yeah, never mind. But the, yeah, pigs, all right, a pig farmer fell into the pig pen, had a heart attack. They did not find much of him left, right? Because that's the way pigs are. And this guy is like longing to eat what the pigs eat. And then the Bible says he came to his senses and he's like, I will arise, I'll go to my father, I will ask him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. And then he says this, treat me as one of your hired servants. So you know what he's saying? My dad feeds his people better than this pig farmer feeds me. I, I, I'll go work for my dad and maybe I can pay him back, right? So then he goes to work for his, he goes heading home, and while he's still a long way off, his dad sees him, and he, and he runs to him, and he puts a robe on him, and he puts a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet, and, and he rejoices. He's like, kill the fatted calf, throw a party, 
right? My son who is dead is now alive. Like his father rejoices. And here's what's kind of fascinating. His story changes. Some people believe that repentance happened when this young man turned around and headed home because, of course, repentance is going in a different direction. But I don't think so. I think he was still negotiating with his dad. But notice there's no negotiation here. Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. No quid pro quo. Don't make me one of your hired hands. I'll pay you back. Nope. Just I am unworthy. This is like the beginning point for the gospel. This is, this is what we come back to regularly over and over and over again. But you know, the story isn't told for the, the recalcitrant younger brother. You've got all these religious people who feel better than all the recalcitrant un, uh, younger brothers standing around. The story's for them. In Rembrandt's picture, the older brother is that taller guy looking down on the younger brother. And the, the tall guy says to the dad, but when this son of yours who devoured your property with prostitutes, by the way, that was added. It's never been in the story. Maybe he thought that's what he did. You kill the fatted calf for him. And he said to him, son, you're always with me. And everything is, that is mine is yours. And it was fitting to celebrate and be glad. For this brother was dead and is alive, was lost and is found. And it's an open-ended story. It's for all the religious people. And frankly, if you were like me and you were the recalcitrant younger brother, I think as you grow in your faith, you become somebody who more easily looks down your nose at people who aren't as good as you. Like you grow into being maybe one of those Older brothers. And yet the beauty of the gospel is seen in the younger brother. And if the older brother could just go, Lord, I have need to. I, Lord, Father, I keep you away with my goodness. Because I can somehow earn, earn a right, then somehow I'm, I'm in with you. But the father would go, no, no, that isn't the way in. You know what I like? I like, you ever seen uh, the Cinderella story? I think this one is from 2015. It has one of the best endings, if you ask me. Because Cinderella is a picture of our relationship with Christ. Listen to this. Oh, okay. Do, all right, turn Spotify off. Okay, here we go. Here we don't go. I am Cinderella. Your Majesty, I'm no princess. I have no carriage, no parents, no dowry. I do not even know if that beautiful slipper will fit. But if it does, will you take me as I am? An honest country girl who loves you. Of course I will. Please.
evil stepmother. I forgive you. Does that not rock? So here she is. I'm nothing. I'm nobody. And he's like, but I love you. Right? Isn't that the gospel? And because of that, she can look at her stepmother and be set free. I forgive you. I forgive you. That's the beauty of the message that we have. And then Peter goes on, and what's beautiful is if you look at Peter's sifting, if you look at his battle with evil where Jesus says, Satan has asked to sift you. And then you read 1 Peter 5, where sometimes it says, you know, words to leaders. But I think it's words for everybody. I think Peter is taking what he learned in that battle, what he learned in that sifting, and he's now communicating it to us. Like, here is my prescription for how to fight a battle against the evil one that you're in and that I'm in. So he teaches us from his own experience. And in 1 Peter 5, 6 through 10, Peter begins by saying, humble yourself, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Be sober and mindful and watchful. So Peter What did he need to have taken out of him? Pride, right? Lord, I'm ready to go to prison or death. And he says, hey, no, no, no. You know what I learned? The way to battle is to humble yourself. You want God to come to your aid. Don't stand up and say, it's all about me and I'll do it. Humble yourself. And in whatever situation the evil one is bringing upon you, like when here he was, his savior, his, his master, the, the Messiah is you know, being arrested. He doesn't understand it. It's perplexing. He's like, humble yourself. And whatever this difficult, perplexing situation is that you're going through, cast it on God because he cares for you. Like, first step in fighting a spiritual battle is put yourself in a place where God will run to your aid, not fight against you. And God gives grace to the humble, right? And that's Peter's first thing. And then he says, your adversary prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him firm in your faith. And what did Jesus say to him, Satan has asked to sift you like wheat. Like he's, like he's connecting all the dots for us. He's like, yes, you will be sifted too. And I want you to be aware that the evil one prowls and he wants to d- devour you. He wants to change your thinking into stinking thinking or, you know, what, whatever it is, he does. The thief, and this is the evil one, comes to steal and kill And destroy. That's the work of the devil. Satan hates you and has a horrible plan for your life, right? But God comes that you may have life and have it abundantly. So uh, I was um, with a buddy backpacking, and he told me about a friend of his who's a worship leader who not too many years ago got into a fight with his wife and then took his own life. He has a beautiful daughter, and, you know, I hear that, and my, my heart breaks because who wins there? 
right? What is Satan's message, right? You're a failure. You're a loser. Life would be better without you. Comfort yourself with suicidal ideation. You know, like, like, like he just wants to get us to like hate ourselves so much to tie who we are to our own personal performance and then to evaluate our performance as horrible so we can just keep beating ourselves up over and over and over again. And that he comes to kill and Jesus came to have life and the only way to to deal with that is to use the sword of the spirit so i was talking to somebody a while back and they said they had everything ready to end it all and before they did they prayed a simple prayer holy spirit if you want to tell me something before i finish my earthly life tell me everything's ready but I'm praying this prayer. And then they open the scripture and they read, the mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the spirit is life and peace. And the person said that word of life and peace. I prayed to the Holy Spirit and I read a passage about the spirit. This This is the sword of the Spirit coming against the evil one and thwarting the plans of the evil one in this person's particular life. And all I know is if you handle the sword of the Spirit, these are the times when its push comes to shove and you hold on to Scripture and you hold on to faith in the face of perplexity and difficulty and maybe massive self-hatred and you hold on and say, Lord... If you are for me, who can be against me? That the mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the spirit is life and peace, and their life was rescued because of that verse. So the sword of the spirit, which is like a scalpel, it pulls the hubris and pride out of Peter's hearts. And Peter continues, and he says, After you have suffered a little while... The God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. What is he thinking about? If you know Peter's story, Peter's discouraged. He heard his God say, he heard the Savior say, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He's rejected him. You know, Jesus, like he's just broken And he's going fishing, and what happens? God recalled him. He has the same miracle happen that happened before, and the boat is filled with fish, and then he dives in and he moves towards Jesus. He's like, after you've suffered a little while, yep, I remember, I suffered, and you may suffer a little while, but let me tell you who's going to establish you. Not you, but God will The God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory will himself. Is that not beautiful? Peter's just telling us what happened and saying it's going to happen for you. He'll restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. And how did he do it? He asked Peter three questions. Do you love me? If you remember, do you love me more than these? And I love that because if you remember what Peter said, everybody else will deny you, but not me. You love me more than these? Peter's like, I don't know. It's what you say, Lord. Like, like he's not going to be, I'm not going to that game anymore. It's not about me better than others, right? 
And then, do you love me? Feed my sheep, care for my lambs. He, he asked them three times. And you know what's interesting? When you read the passage earlier where Jesus says, like, you, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you. The word for you is plural. Satan's asked to sift y'all, right? There's, there's two times where the you is plural. And then when he goes into Peter's fall, and I have prayed for you, it's all singular. And I think what the Lord is saying is, yeah, you all are going to get sifted. Who didn't deny him? Who didn't run away from him? Who didn't leave him in his hour of need? They all did. But he's like, Peter, I'm prayed for you because I want you to be the one who returns and then strengthens the brothers. And so he has this kind of recalling of Peter. This is the spiritual battle. This is the sword of the Spirit in action that, that takes away the things that we once relied on. So our hope and our trust is in Christ and Christ alone. Some of you know the story of Horatio Spafford. He, um, he was wealthy. He was involved in D.L. Moody's um, ministry, you know, Moody Radio or N-E-Y-M-C-A. It stands for Young Man's Christian Organization. And back in the day, Y-M-C-A and Y-W-C-A, they were very Christian and God was using them. And in the 1800s, this uh, hymn writer, he wrote, It Is Well With My Soul, um, was heavily invested in Chicago and in real estate and in 1871, there was the Chicago fires. And he, was, he lost a bunch financially, and he also lost a child in the flames. And he was um, a businessman, but he also liked to help D.L. Moody. And D.L. Moody was going on an evangelistic campaign in England. And so he had his boat scheduled to go, and he had some business come up, so he put his wife and four daughters on the boat. And they went over to England, and he stayed back. And while they were on their way, the boat sank. And his wife sent him a text, saved alone. So now he lost financially, he lost his son, and he lost his four daughters. And he boarded a ship for England, and while they were at this, um, the, about the same place where the ship sank, he's out on the ship, these words come to him, when peace like a river attendeth my ways, when sorrows like sea billows roll, and you can just imagine this guy just weeping, right, whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say, it is well it is well with my soul. Though Satan should buffet, though trials should come, let this blessed assurance control that Christ has regarded my helpless estate and has shed his own blood for my soul. Will you pray with me? Lord, we know that the sword is the sword of your spirit and it is held by your hand and our hand together, and you're the one who wields it. My sin, oh, the bliss of that glorious thought, my sin, not in part, but the whole, has been nailed to the cross, and I bear it no more. It is well. 
it is well with my soul. Thanks for listening. For more information about Community of Hope, go to www.cohchurch.com. God bless you today.